how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? Everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex. I made a promise to myself to stop not listening. What it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality. It started with putting down the substances, really, and starting to listen. And the listening to my body has changed. Welcome to Sober Sex. On this episode, we talk to Lee, aka Must Die Music, who is an internationally touring musician and DJ for the last decade. He makes mostly bass music, likes hamburgers, and going to see films. And when oppressed for his bio, he just said no. <laughs> but he was a real delight to talk to today, Lily. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I, I loved like, just a lot of the conversation around kind of fluidity and ambiguity around sexuality and gender and all of that it introduced a lot of interesting things for me to think about and he's just super fun to talk to yeah just like a warm delight of a human being and like it's totally not the conversation I anticipated having because we've been like Instagram friends for a couple months I guess or no more than probably a couple years but like we don't know each other that well. So it was such a nice kind of introductory conversation with a new yeah. friend have you guys ever met IRL I don't think so, but I don't remember meeting anybody, <laughs> so who knows? Anything's possible. I'm the same. <laughs> I only know you, basically, and Rose. <laughs> exactly. These are the people I know, but regardless, it was, uh, it was a really sweet conversation, so we hope yeah. you enjoy our conversation with Lee, a.k.a. Must Die. That <laughs> I may be an incel. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so now no, I just no, hit no, record. No. Incel chair. <laughs> so I hit record, so now we're recording, but I... Um, Let's so talk we, about incel chairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sober Sex. So I'm trying a new thing where we're, we're, we start impromptu, but I think I did it wrong. I think you're supposed to say, by the way, we've been recording after you've been recording for like 10 minutes. Just so people are like, oh. <laughs> you did do it though. I did. Um, before we begin, what are your preferred pronouns? I am he, him is fine with me. Cool. Great. She, her. She, her mm-hmm. as well. Gotcha. Beautiful. And how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm good. I have coffee. Say more. <laughs> I'm in my incel chair. <laughs> Just, you know, you know ready to game. Audience. Ready to game it up. Lee has a beautiful, like, full gamer chair and, like, streaming guy set up that's actually very impressive to, like behold on the zen so sorry that you can't see he just looks like a real professional gamer um but for those who might be <laughs> unfamiliar with your work can you describe what you do <laughs> i am uh unfortunately one of the dubstep boys or dance music boys that is that is one of them i'm one of them oh, <laughs> i don't really want to expand on that <laughs> But you also pronounce it like B-O-I-S, B-O-Y-Z? B-O-Y-Z is my preferred spelling of boys. <laughs> or like B-O-Y-E-S. Boys. Boys. <laughs> like, boys-y, I know. Yes, exactly. 
Something I strongly care about is Boise, Idaho. B O B E U I S. Yeah, I'm a musician. I've been making music since I was 10. I make all kinds of music. Most people know me for dubstep. I don't know me for dubstep. It's a whole thing. Well, we will definitely get into it. And where where are you? Um, ch- where are you coming to us from today? I am coming to you from Seattle, Washington, in my office. Awesome. It and, is beautiful today, and I'm happy about it. Am I incorrect in thinking that you're a native Texan and you were based there for yes. a while? Yes, I am a native Texan. I was born in Houston, Texas, and then I lived in Dallas as well. Oh. And what provoked a move to, to Seattle? What provoked a move to Seattle? <laughs> like just uh, not being in Texas? I Sorry, wanted, Texas listeners. Well, I think basically like my wife, Natasha, wanted to be closer to family and she is from here. And then we had a baby and it just kind of made sense to be nesting, right? So we're here and I wouldn't move. I would stay here forever. Congratulations. That's a good place to be. Yeah. Just in, in terms of like a heart space. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is good. I enjoy living here. Yeah. Well, so you spoke about it a little bit, but for, you know, those of us who are unfamiliar with your work, can you describe a little bit more about what you do? Sure. Um, Like electronics, dance music, for sure. Um, DJ, like 90% of the year, except for the past two, obviously. And um, I do some writing for others, mostly just for myself and... uh, it has been this way for a very long time, and I don't see it being another way for a very long time. What did you focus on during COVID? As Me? As oh, God. <laughs> At first, it was just a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, to be fair. <laughs> and then, um, then I started writing an album just Great. because I got, I was like, oh, I got to do something that is fulfilling. I can't just sit here treading water. Right. So then I was like, I'll move forward by just writing, writing, writing. And then I, you know, did that whole process. Um, let's see, what else did I do? I spent a lot of time with my kid, which was amazing and probably the best part. Yeah. I mean, if I said anything else, that would be horrible. But it's also true. Like that's, <laughs> that's what If I think of COVID time, I think of time spent with my kid. Um, yeah, kid and album. That's, that's it. And then also kind of like checking in with myself, being like, who are you? after 10 years mm-hmm. on the road <laughs> like what happened <laughs> seriously yeah See, that makes a ton of sense louisa you probably had kind of a similar experience too right yeah i mean i i don't know i was like more productive than i've been in my entire life but only for the first three months when we couldn't do anything <laughs> and then i just became obsessed with horses i mean more than usual <laughs> spent, nice. like most of my energy just doing that um yeah but i think like you know lily was also on the podcast and and you know, I think that it, it we remark on like the privilege of having an experience where we could kind of like do some introspection and creative work and like not have to kind of worry about, you know, getting really sick or, you know, people <laughs> yeah. we love dying. So that's cool. I mean, I think we're all really lucky to be able to kind of have walked away from a challenging experience with yeah. some unscathed parts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. That's true. The, the yeah, the, like I think about it often, you know, I was in a place where, I had runway for a while and I could be here and be present in my family and like yeah. make stuff and not have to go to work and die and like not lose everyone I loved. And, and, yeah. you know, I know that that is like the epitome of privilege to be fair. Yeah. 
And so I do, I do kind of look back on the past 18 or 19 months and just go like, I was fortunate, like this was good for me, but like, I know it wasn't good for everyone. And so like, I try to come back out into the world knowing that so that I don't like just completely bash on someone who like had it so bad or like had to go to work every day and like at like an Amazon factory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I live in Amazon world. I see it all day. Oh also, God. it should be noted that Lee has a shirt that says "Tax the Rich." <laughs> yes, comrade. Yes. Um, I believe worse than "Tax the Rich." To be fair, <laughs> a very valid opinion. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I was just thinking, like, that just a little t- murder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just a little cannibalism. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, like, so as you're starting to like tour again post COVID, how's it feeling getting back? At first I was mortified because I had this like idealistic version of like what my fan base is and that they would all be like nice and messed up and like align with me in any way. And then I went out and I was just like, this is fucked. Wow. Um, so wait, can you like get a little yeah. bit deeper on kind of like sure. what you, what you imagined versus like what the reality is. And that's not to kind of say like, not, not, we no. don't want to bash in your fans. We're obviously. Not bashing. <laughs> I, we're not bashing. It's the truth. I thought shows back would be more tightly controlled post-vaccine. They were not. They have become more so since I started the tour. But, like, my first couple shows, like, my first show back was in Portland, and I was like, this is perfect. Like, it's super, like, you had to have a negative test in the vaccine card, and it was like, let's go. I'm wearing my mask on stage. I'm, like, an adult person doing my job. And then the next one was Spokane, and it was just, like, a free-for-all. And I was, like, in Washington State where there is, like, a mask mandate. And I was just like, this is terrifying. And some kid was like using a fan to blow air at me. And I was like, please don't do that. But I couldn't say anything because like I just don't want to interact or like because people go crazy. Yeah. So like I I felt very like a rat in a cage for like three or four shows until I started hitting the bigger markets again. And then it was like implemented again. Wow. Yeah, that's actually really scary. And I didn't think a lot about it just because in France it's like – vaccine pass mandatory and like we only just recently started indoor shows but like i think that like there's not it's it's bizarre that there's like not so much talk about in the performing sector like about what it feels like on the other side of it like if your job is touring and like having to be on planes and having to be on trains and having to be in clubs like that stuff is stressful the planes the planes have been fine like the planes have been so tightly controlled and the science luckily like on an airplane, not the airport, mm-hmm. but like on an airplane is pretty positive. But the airports in certain yeah. cities, like thankfully it's federally mandated. So most of the time it's fine. But like at the smaller like Kansas airports and stuff, you're kind of just like left to the wolves. And like there's definitely people like coughing and sneezing and stuff. And like as I wouldn't like... I have all three shots and the only reason I'm so mortified, like all my family's vaccinated, like every single person in my family, but like not my kid. Mm-hmm. I can't handle the guilt of some dumbass giving me COVID and me being fine and then giving it to my child and there being some, God forbid, some like complication or like a long-term psychiatric effect, which they're finding, right? Like, I can't do that. So this whole time I've been touring has just been me sitting alone in a room. (laughs) Yo. And I mean, so kind of going with our next question, like, 
you've talked openly about mental health in the past. Um, so how are you kind of taking care of that part as you get back on the road? Because I'm realizing it's like my tolerance is so much lower than it was, you know, 18 months ago for any of this bullshit. Absolutely. I can't put myself through what I used to put myself through. And I think the truth is the only thing to do is put your foot down and stand up for yourself and say yeah. like, I absolutely will just leave right after my set and go to bed. Like I absolutely will like not engage in conversation with people that is, that it's going to tire me out. Like I can't. And, and I, and so far I have found no pushback at all to just being more of a hermit and saying, Hey, I'm not comfortable with this or like, Hey, you know, there's like, if there's a bunch of people in the green room, I just like won't go in there and I'll just yeah. go do something else. And it's been no problem. And it's not caused any rifts between like me and my tour mates or me and like local support and stuff. It's really been, it's been okay. Also, like I have an amazing group of friends. Like I am one of those people where like I have a very tiny core, amazing group of friends that I talk to like 24 seven because they're just always up when I'm up. So I'm really not that isolated and yeah. thank, thankfully because of the internet. Also, I've just been reading a lot, so I'm okay. <laughs> but as, as far as endeavor. Yeah, exactly. Um, as far as like my mental health the past 18 months goes, like I really, really dove in hard and did a lot of the hard work um, that, that past time. And so now I feel like I'm actually better equipped for touring. Even mm. though my tolerance has gone down, I can handle that better than I used to. So I'm not in the midst of a mental breakdown for once. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. I feel great. <laughs> well, it is interesting. I think about it with both of you and it's like what I was saying before, like there's this sort of breakneck pace that I know Louisa had and I assume that you had at a certain point before COVID and this sort of like slowing down like that you had. It was like almost like just immediate, you know, screech to a halt and then have all this time and all this space and I think it does like allow you to really regroup and kind of like recenter, like, what am I doing here? What is my focus? And it sounds like you really were able to do that and then kind of revisit what you're doing with a different point of view, which I think is amazing. You Thank know? you. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure Louisa had a similar experience, but yeah. touring was unsustainable and predatory at the time that COVID happened. It had become yeah. this big, massive monster over the past four or five years. Yeah where we Absolutely. were basically getting treated less and less like people and more and more like cattle. And COVID screeched that to a halt and let us actually live a life for a little bit. That was pretty That's good. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, although I, I got to say that it has kind of put some stuff in perspective that like, and this, this may or may not go my way, but like I realized that the kind the co I realized the cost much more on, on like mental health and, and emotional and physical like what that looks like, how, like how uncomfortable I get, how stressed out I get. And I realized that like, unless I'm going to like have connection with like, I, because I started touring with a band, which is like the most fun I've ever had. I know. Or, it looks like you're having so much fun. It's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> or like make a point to like go places with people that I know are kind of like, like-minded and we can like go to museums <laughs> or like, yeah. like, or, or make new friends on the road. Like it, it will yeah. it be unsustainable just because it's so lonely and like, leaving home feels harder now, you know, just like logistically having to get fucking COVID tests, but also mm -hmm. at like go through more security checks, et cetera. But also just yeah. like emotionally, like it, the, because you know what you're not, missing. Yeah. You know what yeah, you're missing. Yeah. And, you, and I'm sure, especially with a child, but like yes. just the inertia is not there of like this, we're in practice. The muscle is like ready to, and like 
I can't, I feel like I can't afford to kind of disassociate the way I did in order to yeah. do the work. So it's like, like yeah. you say, like how, how to kind of be resilient with that and not saying that like my job is so hard, but like, it's hard. <laughs> you can say that. You can certainly say that in this room. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, the Very job is hard. True. The job is a lot harder than it is made out to be. And we are still grateful for it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> the job is really hard and we're still grateful for it. It is a lot like parenting. It's like, it's not an easy job and it's a 24 seven you job. Like you don't get to take off the work. You just don't get mm -hmm. to like, yeah, yeah we go true. home and sometimes we don't write for a long time, but like, what does that really mean? It just means we're sitting there feeling bad about not writing and not. <laughs> like, also I completely relate, you know, it is a lot harder to leave home now and I don't really look forward to it. And so I've been trying to do as, as you were actually just saying, um, I've been trying to skip hotels and stay with close, obviously vaccinated friends Aww. that like I haven't seen in a long time or make new friends or like actually try to like own up to internet friendships and be like, no, no, we're real friends. Like, <laughs> like this I'll recording of sober you. sex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like that, that kind of stuff has been like the crux of what this tour has been the past few months has been like me finally like, deciding to do something with my touring life rather than just sit passively and be miserable. Yeah. And instead go to the museums. Like I have plans with my friend Yvette to like go to like the Mutter Museum in uh, Philadelphia and go look at all the babies in jars and like all the fun stuff. <laughs> but like I never would have done that pre-COVID. Yeah. 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 That's really interesting actually. And I think that maybe it speaks to like a, a broader like new, new mentality surrounding this stuff just so we can kind of survive it in a way that feels more like as you say, like living as opposed to just like reading right. between hotel, airport, yeah, gig, exactly. hotel, airport, it's like gig. reconnecting to being a human while also doing your job, you know? Yeah. Or, or like truly appreciating the job, which is actually yeah. travel. Yeah. That's and treating it like, like travel. A lot of what <laughs> the, yeah. the challenge and the gift for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's funny though. Cause like actually Lily, like in your kind of, maybe still, but like definitely in your previous life, um, in terms of like sober companionship, like I definitely saw you take advantage of like the gift of travel and like it become actually a big part of your identity to be able to like go exploring. Yeah, yeah like. that's true. <laughs> no, it's true. And it also, it's like, but again, like, and this kind of reminds me of the reset you guys are talking about with COVID. I was traveling so much and so much for work that it sort of like the joy was sort of siphoned out of a lot of it. And then kind of resetting with COVID. Now it's like when I go out and I travel, there's like a different appreciation for the things I'm getting to do and a different sense of like being present. And it just sort of allowed everything to take on a different pace. And so it really has become more of a gift now. Whereas before I feel like I just sort of was like, just. This is what around. I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is what I do. I'm, I'm just going. <laughs> I'm just going. And it's yeah. bunny. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If I may ask, what, what is it that you enjoy doing most when you travel? Oh, that's a good question. We love when I mean, guests ask us questions. Yes. This <laughs> person. For, for me, it's definitely, well, I'm really into food and eating and all of that. Oh, yeah, so me for too. me, it's like, I have like these crazy, nobody on the screen can see it, but I'll show you something. I have like these I'll, crazy, I'll narrate it. I'll have, I have these Google maps that have like the most insane amount. Like here's Los Angeles. I don't know if you can see it. Jesus. Those are all my marks. It looks like, like somebody barfed confetti on Lily's Google map. 
It looks like a birthday cake. But yeah, I have it for pretty much every city that I've been to or ever want to go to because anytime someone tells me, oh, you have to try this spot, I'll put it down. And so nice. when I go, I all, like I was just in Mexico City a couple days ago and I like oh, had all capital. this stuff already marked down. And so it was fun for me to just explore other people's, you know, from, from like the kind of high end to the low end, like whatever yeah. it is, just explore that. And so, and then always like art, architecture, all that, but, but, yeah. and then, you know, I, Louisa, I'm sure shares this, you know, like we're both in uh in a, in sober groups. And so for me, when I go to new places, I actually really oh, enjoy, yeah. Oh, you, okay. <laughs> got it. Just check. Wasn't sure. Here I am. Um, I'm not, in, I'm not in groups though. We'll get into yeah. it. Okay. Got it. But yeah, just meeting people that are on that wavelength. And then I've had some like insane experiences, just meeting you know, sober people in those groups and then going out and like doing interesting stuff that's, you know, cool. on there sort of, yeah. So that's kind of what I enjoy doing the most of foods, like a really a major part of it for me, photography, food, all that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Food travel is the best travel for sure. Yes. Oh my yes. God. It really gives you a sense of stuff. And favorite I, country for food. Ooh, me? Yeah. All oh of us. Oh my God. Um, I'm I'm in charge now. <laughs> Leah's taking the podcast hostage, and we're I'm just sorry. like, go for it. No, we like I'm it. Sorry. <laughs> we're, we'll, we'll we'll turn the tables again soon. But I'm very yeah, much yeah. enjoying this I line just, of questioning. I just yeah. need to know. Uh, for me, probably Spain or Denmark. Denmark. Yeah. I did not expect Denmark. <laughs> Spain. Yeah, breakfast or, fish. <laughs> yeah, I was like, mmm, Ludwig. No, there's some amazing like restaurants there That's that do like dish. this hyper local, like I sound like such a hipster right now, but like this hyper local like foraging stuff where mm. it's all just like incredible. And then Spain just has it's oh Spain. my God. I mean, there's such I mean, obviously France and Italy and all, but like those two have really unique, interesting cuisines that I love. And my favorite restaurant in the world, which actually just got named the best restaurant in the world, is in uh, Copenhagen. It's called Oh, Bologna. nice. Yeah. Sweet. So I will yours? be, I will be uh, what, mine? Yeah. Oh, okay. I have two. Japan. Really? Oh, God, yeah. Japan, because I could eat. I've never had a bad meal. I've eaten, like, everything ever, forever, and I've never had a bad bite of food in Japan. Also, Mexico. Yeah. Probably. Oh, or Italy. That's, it's tough. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Solid. Solid choices. I never really think about my two. Mm. The U.S. has pretty good food, actually. I, you know what? Totally. Have you been to Uchi in any of Texas? There's several. Is it going on the list? No. It's going on the yeah, list. I'll send it to you go on anyway. the list. Sorry, Please. we can... We can get back to talking about the things that matter that aren't my <laughs> nah, food recommendations. <laughs> no, this is good. This is no, good. Making, making the, the best out of travel. Making the best out of travel is basically like my mo this year. That's like what yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. That's awesome. See it all tied back. Yeah, and, and I'm actually very inspired because I've been kind of like this last couple of weeks was just like too much. <laughs> you were going, going, going yeah. like over oceans. Over oceans and. You know, I mean, like the nice thing about kind of being based in Europe is that you can cover a lot of ground and not yeah. usually have to go over oceans. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that was Thanks, not. Ryanair. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like, no. I Ryanair, know. Ryanair is Let's go KLM. A, 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 like anti Ryanair uh, rider. If, pro pro tip. <laughs> if you're a too. DJ listening, <laughs> especially if yeah, you're if a you're sober a, DJ, don't ever let your manager lie <laughs> yeah. to you. 
and say it's going to be fine. It won't be fine. It won't be fine. It will not be fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so we like we went to museums. I met my dad in Montreal. That was fantastic. And yeah, it was like it felt really nice. I mean, it was exhausting, but it felt so much less exhausting than if it had just been like go there, play gig, fly back. So I think that like the focus, the theme of the year is connection, whatever that looks like. And I really like your your way of going about it because I'm kind of like of my own neurotic, uh, like hyper controlled, psycho rigid, like traveling style. <laughs> I'm like Sick. I'm going in and getting out as soon as possible, and like it doesn't same. leave a lot of room for fun. You know, it doesn't. No, leave it a lot doesn't. Of, like, but <laughs> joy. <laughs> there's, kind of a, there's kind of a joy in Tetrising fun in. Yeah. And I think yeah. I, I'm braver with other people. And I like now understand why DJs have tour managers, even though I can't afford one. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so I got I a band that. instead. I lost <laughs> mine and I cry about it every day. Like, like I volunteer. Veronica, if you're listening, I love you so much and I miss you. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. I'll, I'll so see cute. you like, next week. I'll see you next week. <laughs> oh, she just got uh, the, there's like the, the girl gang Instagram. That's like uh, commemorating women in dance music. I think Jeannie runs it. Uh, was shouting out Veronica the other day and I was like losing my mind. I was just like, oh. I was like, this is what I've always wanted someone to finally shout out Veronica. So yeah, Veronica, if you're listening, I love you. You're the best tour manager in the world. Well, oh this God. is a very powerful it. pivot into our next question. Yeah. Which Let's is, pivot. <laughs> you are a vocal feminist in the often bro heavy world of bass music and EDM. How do you express this? And do you ever get pushback? I haven't gotten pushback. Thank fucking God. Which has surprised me. <laughs> It has surprised me. I think because I have berated people with my opinions for so long and schooled so many people when pushed back against like with other subjects that now people just leave me alone so they don't get embarrassed on the internet. <laughs> I know that sounds mean, but it is true. And um, because I'm not, I'm, I'm not one to blabber unless I can back it up when it comes to like how I live my life. Like yeah. uh, as far as being a feminist in dance music which is just like the worst um i in think it's just a matter of, <laughs> not being a feminist is the worst but like <laughs> no 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 no, no. dance oh music gosh. is no. the worst environment dance music is extremely sexist extremely transphobic extremely racist and extremely like just based on like white dudes with money like that's what it is it's white straight males with money being a predator to everyone else and taking all of your money and your talent that is what edm is and uh, that is especially what live touring is. So that being said, I just try to work with women. Like I just try to surround, I, like, I surround myself with people who are good at their jobs and that happens to be women in my case. The mm. people I work with, um, the people I tour with, my friends, like I just hate bros. <laughs> <laughs> like I just don't I just don't see the point. I don't see the point in continuing the way things are. I don't see the point. It's just hurting everyone. So, I guess I don't know. I was raised by all women and I just am that way. That makes I don't know. Sense. I don't really think about it much to be honest. It's it's yeah. kind of just like an inherent thing that I do. Yeah, it's like innate just in the way that you see the world. Yeah, like why wouldn't it? Like why shouldn't it be? Absolutely. Well, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I wish I had something more profound to say. Sure. I mean, I wish I had something more profound to say. And like, I'm some champion, but like, the truth is, like, I'm not. I just like, I prefer working with women. Um, I prefer like feminine energy to masculine energy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I just have always been that way my entire life. Like I, and I will probably always be that way. Yeah. Well, and, it's a, wait. Oh, I was just going to say, if you're comfortable sharing, you said you were raised by women. What, what, mm-hmm. what did that look like? Was it, you know, moms? Was it siblings? Was it? So my mom, I was raised by a single mother um, for a time. I moved out when I was 13 and went to live with my grandparents. But I was raised by my mother um, and my grandparents. But that was mostly in the form of my grandmothers. Because wow. basically like my maternal grandmother and then my maternal grandfather and his wife because they had divorced. So it was like I had two grandmas and a grandpa and my mom. Yeah. And like my mom didn't get married until I was, you know, older. So like I just didn't really have any male figures in my life at all to look up to ever. And all the male figures that were in my life were like a literal detriment to my health and well-being. So it's like I can clearly see why I don't like men. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and I, you know, that was good for me. It taught me, it taught me a lot that like a lot of my friends never learned, which is just like how to exist that way and not, not feel this need to be this aggro testosterone guy. I never felt the pull to be anything other than myself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of men feel a pull to be more like a man Mm. I never had that. Mm. I still don't have that. That's really interesting because it, it, it sounds like, if I understand you correctly, like you sense a definite difference between kind of like uh, kind of masculine, wh- whether that's toxic or not, um, sure. like worldview or kind of like societal uh, response to societal pressure and the one that you were given in a kind of matriarchy. Can, yes. Is that cool? What do, you, what do you kind of see as the difference? I see the difference is that I had no expectations placed on me mm. in, a, in a matriarchal system where it was like all women. I was, I was completely left to be myself. Nobody pushed me to be anything other than myself. And then I speak to my friends who are lovely people. I'm not even talking about to- toxic masculinity, just masculine households with like a strong father figure and stuff. Like we are not the same. And yeah. I, I have never really thought about it to be honest, but like it is a definite difference between like how, how I, but it did lead to me feeling really like out of place a lot of in a lot in my life where like I never felt comfortable around masculine men because I felt completely not masculine at all. I've always related very hard to feeling very feminine and like I still do. Yeah. And so, like, that was weird. <laughs> I don't know. I've never really thought about it. Lee, you're just a gift when it comes to segues. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking that. Let's pivot. Let's go. It's not even yeah. pivoting. We're just, like, in it. We're in a tunnel, and we're, like, continuing to the destination. It's crazy yes. how all my thoughts are one thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's seamless. Um, so you've said that you were willing to, like, discuss in previous conversations, that you were willing to discuss your own journey with gender and sexuality. And sure. so, like, as a kind of a continuation of the exact track that we're on, could you kind yeah. of expand on our, your experience in that department? A hundred percent. And it is a hundred percent where I was going, too. I, well, I mean, there's really no avoiding it. It's, I, I have just recently started thinking about, you know, the, the gender conversation has always existed in my peripheral. And like, of course I have friends and loved ones who um, are non-binary, are trans, are cisgender, any, any of it. 
like anywhere on the spectrum of gender. And, and I've never believed in the binary. It's just not something I believe in. I just don't see any proof of that being the case at all because I myself don't exist in the binary. Like mm. I identify as male because I think honestly, because of the inherent privilege of it, like I'm, I'm, I've just been a dude my whole life. But the truth is, I don't know if that's really true. Like, and I, I've been thinking about it a lot lately. I haven't come to any conclusions, but my thought is that if like, if I've learned anything about myself, it's that I do not believe in a gender binary at all. Like, I think I'm, ex I'm very effeminate for like a traditional male. Mm -hmm. And like, as a father as well, I, I, I find myself existing in both like a traditional male role and not. And that's been super interesting to watch myself kind of like, like, like just through the lens of like hindsight being like, wow, I really handled that like a dad or like, wow, I really handled that like kind of like my mom would have. And like, mm -hmm. but like not, not in like a, like a gender role way, but like in just like the energy put off. It's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I lie. I have no idea. And I don't think it really matters to me, to be honest. Yeah. I'm very comfortable being myself and I like I hate that some people aren't mm. like everyone should be free to be comfortable being themselves and so I guess like I guess that's where I'm at is that I'm finding like my privilege to be like lovely and realizing that I have it because if I were born a woman I don't think it would have changed anything about my personality but it would have changed everything about my privilege mm. That's and really so that's kind of that's kind of what I've been thinking about. Well, yeah. I I love that you name it. Like <laughs> your loveliness is really really a beautiful way of putting it. Because like often I think that you know, in my understanding, having kind of a white supremacist patriarchy <laughs> uh, kind of harms everybody. But like in as you were saying, like the expectations of masculinity, this idea of being able to kind of own qualities that might be considered like quote unquote feminine qualities. Sure. Yeah. Um, and like embrace them as part of you, like, and the, the admittance that like, no, being a man is much more convenient. <laughs> it's super convenient. It's super convenient. And I don't know if I'm ready to let go of it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think that there is even like, and I see this a lot with like the kind of the next wave of like young sober people, like mm -hmm. even the, the way that like in 12 steps, they're changing the language to be more gender inclusive that like, lovely. it's so lovely and so yeah. exciting <laughs> that they're, that it seems like the kind of even people like five to 15 years younger are just having a new experience of like what the yeah. possibility is of like gender expression or identification. And I feel like, I wonder if I hadn't been socialized so strongly into my womanhood, if that would be a question more than it is. Because, like, I'm yeah. definitely, like, a cis woman. But, like, it, like I, I wonder, you know, if, and, you know, t it's neither here nor there, really. But, like, if the, um, like, there had been different, different socializing or a different landscape of, like, what was possible. Like, what the reality would look like, you know? Like, yeah. More yeah. options would have been nice, right? <laughs> Truly. And it's right? exciting that they exist now, you know? And it's exciting yeah, that, like... Is to watch kind of a new generation be able to kind of like take on like 
and explore more of that than I think that we were given the opportunity to like, and I'm looking forward to the day where I can categorize myself. Hmm. Like I think, or a lack completely thereof. Like I'm looking forward to the day when either I feel no need to valid, like in the system because like I survive in it (laughs) or I'm looking forward to the day where there is no system and I can exist as like a soul in the void making music forever. Like I don't really want a body. I just don't want one. <laughs> like I would prefer to just be a cloud. Oh, that's <laughs> like a little poem. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. I'm like, I'm like the, I'm like a dumb dubstep kids Hemingway over here. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a, so. it's a weird, uh, that that whole realm of thought has been heavy on my mind lately. Well, yeah. we're so exciting that you're talking about it with us. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that you're just sort of being comfortable in the sort of unknown of the whole thing, or not even unknown, but just like, I don't need to figure that out right now or define that right now or anything, which is, um, I love hearing that. So, um, so classic sober sex question, what were some of the first messages that you received around sex and sexuality? Let's see. That I, that question brought up two things immediately. One is the music video for "Baby Got Back." <laughs> is my, that, my has anyone brought that up before? Sex. Nobody's brought uh, it up, and yes. yet I know exactly the video. <laughs> well, everyone does. My, it's um, a butt mountain. Um, my <laughs> first messages around sexuality and sex were that I don't know. There was never a shame around it. I think I understood sexuality to be like an inherent way of expressing affection. Mm -hmm. And then I also associated it with strife in my life because clearly like my only view into sexuality was living with my mom Mm -hmm. and she was dating and like, this was nightmarish for you a bit. Yeah. It was pretty nightmarish for me. So like, I just, I knew from a really young age that like, Sex is a way you express, like, affection, but it can also be used as a manipulation tactic. And I knew that really young, like, way too young to know that. Yeah. And so how did you kind of take that into your own experiences? I think, I think it really, I don't know, it really pushed me off of it for a long time, off of, like, connecting in that way. Like, a lot of my early dating and relationships that were, like, genuine like you know as I was older in my teens were very like I don't know kind of like prude for like a bit and then I like fully embraced myself as like a very sexual being and it was fine (laughs) but (laughs) I think I think it took me a minute to like call it out like eventually I was just like I know exactly why I'm being like this I need to stop yeah yeah I just like men man Words. Oh, man. I mean, that's interesting. Man, 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 man. (laughs) It's interesting. It sounds like it kind of loops back on your, like, understanding of, like, the kind of societal pressures of, like, being a dude in a straight relationship and, like, (laughs) that was not for you. (laughs) No, because I wasn't straight. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) No, I'm pan. So, like. (laughs) Yeah. And I knew that from a really young age. the assumption. No, it's fine. Like I exist in that sphere. I come off that way. I don't talk about it much. Yeah. Um, mostly because I don't, it's just 
I don't know. It's not, it's not anything to me any different than like having palms to me. And I've been really comfortable in it forever. It, well, there's some hiccups. So when I was young, my first sexual experiences were actually with boys. And that was really confusing to me because like it was so platonic. Mm. I was never in a relationship with a boy, but like, I just knew it. I knew it. And I was like, okay, I'm gay. And then I like had a relationship with a woman and I was like, okay, now I'm not gay. What's happening. And then like, <laughs> I didn't realize that you could be both. And then like, as that continued on, I thought about like, okay, so I'm bisexual. And then I was like, well, I'm not bisexual because like everything is fine. Like everything is fine. Like if you are a person, you are beautiful and valid and I can, I can do that. Like I can see you as a partner no matter what. Um, and so then I was like, okay, so I'm kind of just everything. Like I said, I'm a cloud, right? Like I just, it's whatever. And so then, you know, all the conversations started happening as I was, you know, in my twenties about like sexuality and like, I did not know about pansexuality. I just only knew about, you know, gay, straight, bisexual. And bisexual at that time was basically like talked about as if it were like gay erasure. So yeah. I was just like, I, I don't feel valid at all. And in my head, I knew that I wasn't exactly any of those. Yeah. Yeah. And it so seems like the labeling was the issue, not you. <laughs> yeah. I need, I need labels in order to function. It sucks. Like I have to know what I am. And so like, then I was in relationships and I just didn't feel quite correct in any of the roles. Right. Like I didn't feel like masculine boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it threw a lot of women off because I couldn't articulate it either. Like I just wasn't comfortable enough to articulate it. I mean, I and think so, it takes quite a lot of like insight to your own like needs and values and desires in order to articulate it. And that's like a lot to ask of somebody who's like a teenager in their early twenties. Also living in Mississippi. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I was already getting jumped because my pants were too tight. So it was like, I didn't really know what to do. And like my closest friends were wonderful and understood me without it needing to be said and always have. And when I told, when I talked to them about it, you know, like a decade later, they were just like, yeah, it's fine. But like at the time being like 16, 17, 18, 19, you're just like, everything is insane. This is too much. I can't devote attention to figuring this out right now. Yeah. Um, so I didn't. And yeah, so, so it, it really imprinted on me from a young age that, like, sex was, sex was a way to express affection. It was weird and could be used as a weapon. And then I was like, am I actually doing this to people by not being honest about myself? Mm, right. and, and, and then my relationships would fall apart because I didn't feel genuine in them. Wow. Yeah. So how did you kind of, like... A, like, how did your alcoholism, if that's what it was, like, coincide with this? And then how did you kind of become who you are? <laughs> I mean, we yeah. have, like, 20-ish minutes. <laughs> well, let's go. Let's go. I can do this in five. Um, so <laughs> No rush. Just kidding. So I Long think drinking, drinking for me, my mom, my mom is an alcoholic. And my grandfather is an alcoholic. And it runs in my family. And so I started drinking in about, about 18 or 19 
when I was playing in clubs and stuff like that. And it was such a great way for me to stop uh, paying attention to how I fit in in social situations, not in like a oh, social anxiety, but like I really like deeply, deeply don't feel comfortable around anyone. Like I don't relate to anybody. And then when I would get drunk, I would feel completely comfortable because I just wasn't paying attention right. anymore. And so that also helped me feel less kind of wacky and weird and not like anybody else. And that ended up being a great way to hide from any feeling of uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. So then I just started doing that a lot <laughs> and I would tour in this like just drunk nothing state because it's the best way to get through it. What at the time was like my way of getting through the shit and also my feelings of like, I'm not home. That's guilt. Like there's shame and guilt and not being home and not feeling like a valid person. And like all that stuff just snowballed until one day, like nothing happened. Just one day I woke up and I was in Phoenix and I just like looked around and I was like, I don't remember anything. Like I have this life and people who love me and I don't remember anything. And I felt such like a profound sadness in that moment of mm. like being robbed of a time that I just said to myself, like, I'm never going to drink again. And then I didn't. And it mm. wasn't even like a thing. I just didn't. And I know like for a lot of people, it's not that simple. It's not that easy. But for me, it was. I was just Done. profoundly sad. And being sad was a great way for me to just go like, I deserve to be happy. And I deserve to be comfortable. And ever since then, I have like fully embraced myself. And like, it was like mm -hmm. literally a switch. And it's work too. And uh, having good friends and bouncing and late night chats is a great way to figure yourself out. But yeah, yeah not drinking is 100% the best thing I've ever done. Fucking amen. Um, yeah. And so did that like change the nature of your relationships, like sexual or otherwise? I mean, <laughs> absolutely. Now that you can remember thing. Well, yeah, that, but also like, I don't have that like inherent drinking guilt. The like, I feel like only people who have been there understand to some degree the like, you know, you shouldn't drink and then you drank anyway, mm -hmm. because like, because it's just what you do. And like that being gone and going, hey, I did something for my, I stood up for myself. I'm going to stand up for myself in this way too. It's like a snowball effect, right? So then all of a sudden I was like in better physical shape. I was in better emotional shape once like it leveled back out. I like went to therapy and like sorted my life out and really got to the root of why I was drinking and like really understood myself and feel good about myself. And I feel like I can actually love people. <laughs> But I don't think I could. I don't think I, I don't think I was an effective partner or, or friend. Absolutely. And, and how do you feel like it changed your work and creativity as a result? Like how did your recovery or sobriety change that? I'm yeah, I am in a, in a space where I'm creating significantly more than I was mm. and not just more, but like I'm having fun. I'm able to like find the love again, like I did when I was a teenager, because I'm not occupied with anything else when I'm in that moment. There's no dependency, there's no nothing but the music. And, and prior, I mean, I was just, my anxiety was just at an all time high. 
because alcohol does not help anxiety. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> um, yeah. Rad. And, and like, so now that you're a dad, has that kind of changed the relationship that you have with your body or with your sexuality or kind of like yeah. creativity? What's that look like today? Yeah, it has. I, I think having a child, well, let's start, let's start with creativity. I think having a child has made it a lot easier to find a focus on what is important to me so that I can impart what, like what enjoying your life looks like mm-hmm. to your child. Like I want my kid to look at dad working and see me enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't want him to see the stuff that I hated about my job. So I'm just removing it. Like when he looks at me making music, I want him to see me actually making music hmm. or like, going and playing shows and coming back with stories of like how it was fun. When he comes back, he says, where did you go? What did you do? I want to be able to answer that with not like I sat in a room, (laughs) you know, like I tell him about the airport. I tell him about the airplanes and that in itself is basically like gratitude practice. So like, then you just feel better anyway. So having a kid is actually really great for going on weekend trips. It's like really good. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And for music too, like he's my, he's a supportive kid, right? Like it's great. Um, as for my body, having a kid hasn't really changed the way I feel like sexually or otherwise, but I do think it has made me feel, I don't know, more responsible with my body, Mm. like just health in general. Like, I don't know. I haven't, nothing has really changed about me. Um, post-child except for gratitude and taking care of myself that's like the two things but Um, those two things can have such like an impact on how your day-to-day life feels which I think is a big for sure yeah for sure my life has improved tenfold since I had a baby like I I would I love kids I don't know I've always wanted kids and then having a kid was like the best thing I've ever done in my entire life it's like getting sober having a kid learning Fruity Loops at age 10. That was good stuff. <laughs> that's what I like. Yeah, that's kind of it. <laughs> this is what I like. It's not going to change. This is, that's what I like. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been good. It's been that's good. Great. And how do you balance all of that? How do you balance touring, staying sober, family life, being a father? How do you, how do you balance it? Staying sober is, I know this is privilege to speak. I know it. But, but for that's me, that's okay. It's like, I think. I think people need to hear that it's not incredibly difficult sometimes. No, <laughs> yeah. no. Sometimes it can be okay. Um, I, and I had the same with, with nicotine. I had the exact same experience where I just, it was just whatever. And like, I also, I don't do drugs or anything. I'm just a very sober boy, but um, yeah, it, it's effortless for me. Um, I have no want. I have no, I don't feel like I'm missing out. I don't, I don't miss anything. I don't miss, I don't even see like a benefit in my old life, I look at, I look at how I lived and I go, shit, I wish I could go back and not do that. Like, I don't go like that sure was effective for me because it wasn't effective. Like I know that none of those coping mechanisms were working Mm. and that this one is more, I mean, but it does sound like you actually did quite a lot of work in that moment surrounding it. No, like that you did the heavy lifting like in the moment necessary as opposed to having to like kind of carry the yeah, I guess burden so. of why you were drinking into mm-hmm. this part of your life. And that sounds yeah. really effective. Yeah, I did. I did work. I think the difference 
I think, I think the, the thing that I'm fortunate about is that I did a lot of the work autonomously, subconsciously. Mm. And I didn't have to do a lot of reasoning with myself or a lot of, of laying it out there as if it were a revelation because I had over the years known and continued to know until I reached a point where I was so profoundly sad that it was either I quit drinking right now, or I just like give over to oblivion and be like a terrible person the rest of my life. Like it was that bad. Like I was either going to be okay or like not be okay. And I chose to be okay. And that's what I did. And so that is just kind of, it just goes. And there is work I do still where I think, you know, hey, remember, just sometimes, but not very often. Um, I actually I actually try to just like listen to other sober people and when they talk about things that are difficult for them, and then I keep that perspective because I mm. understand how profoundly lucky I am that it didn't go that way for me. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it does yeah. sound like you had kind of a, you like, even though it's been maybe a simple like maintenance program, that mm-hmm. like you did have kind of a traditional like you know the genetics plus trauma equals alcoholism plus like a moment of awakening and yeah. like then your life changed drastically and like that's <laughs> that's recovery yeah sure i guess i'm i'm not very like well versed in it because i never went to a program and it was literally like the crux was like a conversation with ducky <laughs> For friend of show ducky friend of show yeah <laughs> Friend of all. Friend of all. <laughs> yeah, ma- mammals all over the world. Um, and I, I don't know. You know, I, you know, you're saying that, and I'm, I'm seeing that you're right, and that it is the traditional root of like, you know, cause effect trauma, big boom change. But through my eyes, I guess I was so numb I didn't notice it. <laughs> you're like I'm in pain. <laughs> Yeah, I was just like, everything is bad. All of a sudden, I'm like, I don't want it to be. Like, that's kind of what happened. And like, but it was that way for so long. 10 years of just like feeling like not a person and feeling like all this guilt and trauma about all the things that I did to defend myself feeling like a person Mm -hmm. and the way I would treat people and like the complete meltdowns I would have because I wasn't okay. And I just didn't, I just felt so completely nothing and like literally just like a little flat line of a person. And then it was just one day I was like, I actually like don't, I'm not going to do Like I'm just not gonna like a little bit of like rebellion. It just happened in my brain. And then it was over from there. And like, I like refuse still to, I just like refuse to live a life that isn't wonderful. I just, I just can't, I won't. And like, I won't let others either. That's my thing. It's like, <laughs> like if, like if my friends, I don't know, I'm, I'm a pep talk guy, but um, yeah, I refuse to live a shit to your life. I just won't do it. It's fucking, yeah. this world sucks. So like, I'm going to have fun. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. As, as for uh, keeping family on tour, it's, it's hard. Like you go out for the weekend you know, I come home and my child is in another phase that I have to acclimate myself to. But the good news is I am in charge of like childcare the days that I'm home. So he's with me days in a row and we get the same amount of quality time that a nine to five worker would. 
No, that's rad. I mean, especially because I do think logistically, like I'm personally, should I ever have a kid that that's something that freaks me out. <laughs> so it's cool yeah. to like learn how people are managing that because I'm like, I know Lily is like, you know, dealing with the logistics a lot and sounds like yeah. you too. And it's like, it's, it's a real thing to talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we're on this like adult DJ podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> Like, so what's parenting like? Do you love rapes? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so we talk a lot in this, like in, in 12 step, there's this concept of like a sex ideal, which is like who you want to show up as in romantic or sexual relationships. Uh-huh. Um, ha- like what is your sex ideal today? And has that changed over time? I'm going to try to understand this. Um, you can ask us questions so, about it. It doesn't. You don't have to be clean. Yeah, yeah. So, does it mean? Does it mean like who would like what role like ideal me in a romantic relationship? Yeah, like the kind in of person that you want to like, sh- like, like the kind of partner that you want to be. The kind of partner I want to be, absolutely. Um, I think like with myself, there is an inherent like intense sexuality about me, and. I think being there in that way while also being this like grounding, like kind person, like there's, there's like a duality within me that I admire about myself, which is that Mm -hmm. I am intensely kind and intensely intense. (laughs) And sometimes it doesn't come out right. Like in the past 10 years, like trauma has prevented myself from feeling like my best self. But now my, my, my ideal self is absolutely taking those two qualities and pushing them towards the front where they belong, not obstructed by like nothings. Mm. So that's, that's where I want to be. That's really I like nice. being a duality. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny too, that like even more, more dualistically, you, you've talked, you've mentioned your identification or desire to identify as like a little cloud <laughs> yeah. multiple times throughout the, the conversation. And that like, actually the quality that you want to bring into relationship is like grounding which is kind of nice because that's kind of the opposite. Yeah. I know. I, 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 <laughs> if, if, I had, if I had a theme for my entire life, it is duality. And if I like, and it goes all the way from being a person to my music, it has always been like, I believe that, that there is inherent duality and like existing right there with access to both. I hear that so much as a lot of what you're saying is the duality and the sort of ambiguity. And it's interesting because I heard you saying I have to have a label, but also that I'm you're sort of, but you also seem to have a real comfort in the, the ambiguity of things. So it's interesting. Yeah. Even that's a duality. I, <laughs> I, yeah. I should clarify when I say I have to have a label, I guess what I'm saying is I would like to be valid. Mm. Yeah. And feel like if someone wants to know about me, I can say, this but I don't right. have that so I guess what I'm not saying is I have to categorize myself to feel comfortable with myself it would be nice to be able for the to purpose of being a human being in a world with other human beings in a world where everyone <laughs> really does society. rely on labels yes yeah. <laughs> like but I it, think if it were up to me no one would everyone would just be a cloud <laughs> I do think though that everybody has the ambiguity and if they think they're clear on one thing or another they're probably not they're just telling themselves that to function if that makes yeah, we're not going to get along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think so. 
And I, I think I'm, I'm in the process and in the work of uh, accepting the ambiguity yeah. and enjoying it. And it's kind of beautiful, the whole thing. Love that. Yeah. Well, so, you know, our last question before the lightning round. Which we have is, not prepared uh, you for. We've not prepared you for, but. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, you seem dedicated to changing the bro culture of American electronic music. So are there any messages you'd like to impart on that? Just because so many bros listen to sober sets. So we want to really <laughs> transmit yes. direct to them. All those bros, all those bad boys. Let's go. <laughs> um, if I had to impart one single message on the uh, hyper-masculine uh, aggressive headbanger crowd, I would just tell you to put a fucking shirt on. Why ask or put a shirt on? Dad said. Put a fucking shirt on. <laughs> yes. Stop going to the gym and read a book. I love that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've had so many run-ins. The reason I act this way is because I've had so many run-ins with just like the most entitled bitchy men about like what I do and how I should do it. And that my music is like not, it, you know what it is? That like inherent, like men should be masculine thing is like placed onto my music and it drives me insane. Mm-hmm. Like they'll be like, it's not heavy enough. I'm like, you don't know shit boy. Yeah. So I hate them. I don't like them. Huh. I mean, that sounds like really <laughs> challenging to be at odds with your fans. <laughs> It really is. And it's been this way uh, since about 2014. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that we see you, Lee, as the change we'd like to see in the world. (laughs) Thank you. I like to be the change I want to see in the world. (laughs) I would like to do that. Not unlike Gandhi of EDM. Um, Gandhi of EDM. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, without like the weird sexual stuff that we found out about later. Um, That's what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe with the sexual stuff we've had, because we're all we're all in that world. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it is sober sex after all. Yes. Good. <laughs> um, okay, whatever. Consent is key. Um, so is. we <laughs> yes. this <laughs> this moment of the conversation transpires us into the lightning round. Um, so don't think about it. Just feel feel your answer and say it. Uh, what I is your it. favorite flavor combination? This could be a meal. Oh, flavor combination. Peanut butter chocolate. Oh, yum. Very solid. Awesome. Or okay. strawberry banana. Ooh. I feel like that that's less solid. <laughs> no, I love Wait, it. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've got it. Peanut butter banana. Okay. Peanut butter banana. That's a classic. Peanut butter banana is my final answer. Okay. That is a classic. Um, how about a song that makes you feel big feelings? Oh, God. A song that makes me feel big feelings? There is a light that never goes out by the Smiths. Oh, man. Oh, yes. Of course. I'll ugly cry big on a plane feelings. every single weekend. <laughs> Or uh, way out west, don't forget me. Awesome. <laughs> Wait, look, this is not a lightning round question, but it made me think. What was the last song you ugly cried to on a plane? Uh, Chrome Country by One of Tricks Point Never. Oh, wow. wow. That's heavy. The ending gets me every time. Lily, what was yours? <laughs> what was the last ugly uh, cry on a plane? I, mine was, I feel like it was a movie, not a song, and I cannot even think what it is, but for whatever reason... I will ugly cry more on planes at like sad movies than I will yep. at home. There's so something you know, about a, whole, a plane. That's a thing. There's it's something about a plane. I don't you know. have no Mar- Marley and me. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> yeah. I, the last movie I ugly cried to was Paris, Texas. Yeah. Oh, God, that's such that's a, a good really movie. good yeah. 
film for really mine was my dog me. Skip. <laughs> oh, dude, that was filmed where I grew up. <laughs> it was so beautiful. Yeah. And then I barf. I was like, you know, when you can't breathe and you have to like go to the bathroom, but you can't see and you can't like have air through your nose and you're just like, <laughs> you puke. <laughs> no, but it was very ugly. It was an ugly cry. Nice. nice. <laughs> um, what is a smell that is attached to a good childhood memory? Cinnamon brooms. Oh, I love cinnamon brooms. Cinnamon, cinnamon brooms, broom? fall, Thanksgiving. They a cinnamon start showing broom, up in like Trader Joe's and grocery stores they, in the fall. And it's they just, look, yeah. yeah. They look like a little witch's broom, but they smell like cinnamon. Oh, so Aptly good. named cinnamon broom. Exactly. Delicious. And uh, what turns you on? What turns me on? Take that however you want. No, I've got it. Uh, <laughs> mm, submissive behavior. Ooh. And like coming of age style moments. Love that. What does that mean? Wait. <laughs> you ever seen the movie Almost Famous? Yeah. Yeah. That whole movie. That whole movie. Oh my God. I'm presently that. watching Billy Crudup again in the morning show and it's still fucking impeccable. We love him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, what drives you mad in a good way uh, or a bad way? I have an extreme sensitivity to sound, so misophonia is like the highlight of my life. So anytime someone chews, wow. I'm going to die. Oh, God. <laughs> That's yeah. a difficult, you know, a, a difficult malady for your chosen line of work. Exactly. <laughs> Just exactly. chewing sounds in your music, obviously. Yeah. Uh, what do you love? What do I love? I love big chord changes. I love coffee. I love the people in my life. I love seeing people love. Oh, I'm about to ramble. Do it. I love, I love listening. I love talking. <laughs> Sorry. I love, I love a good book. Like going for it. I love a good book. Oh, well, I got a lot I love. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> I, like love, your I love list. children. Yeah, I love children. I love movies. I love art. I love music. That's what I like. That's wonderful. That was such a heartwarming oh list. Wait, you know that you know the movie Best in Show, and there's a part where yeah, she's yeah. like hitting with the guy. She's like, "I love talking." Or we love talking, we and love we love too. not talking. That's what it reminded me of. Right now. Exactly, man. If I if I if I could be anyone in the world, I think I would want to be Catherine O'Hara. Oh, oh my god, god. I love her. I would love to be that funny. <laughs> Oh, and I want to be best friends with Jennifer Coolidge, who's the, oh, you know, yeah. she's the best. She's mm -hmm. the best. Classic. Intense, that one. Yeah. Classic ladies of the silver screen. <laughs> so, classic ladies of the silver screen. I love the silver screen. Yes. So we need to start bringing back, like, just weird pet names for the movies. Yes. I gotta go see this picture, huh? In every the silver screen. <laughs> silver editing screen. the Brutal Recovery podcast that airs in two weeks, and it, it sounds like I'm, like, mad-libbing lines from, like, 1940s. It's in, The entire podcast is crazy, so I'm glad it's becoming a theme. <laughs> oh, my God, that's amazing. Great. Yeah. Um, and uh, finally, Lily. With, with, oh, I was just going to say, where, where can we find you on the World Wide Web? On the World Wide Web? Yes. You can usually find me in the dumpster. Um, no, you can find me <laughs> at, uh, it's usually just like at must die music on every platform. Uh, you can also find me lurking around on podcasts. And uh, There you go. 
generally goofing. <laughs> Such a good goofer. Um, I love to goof. <laughs> well, it has been a true pleasure having you on Sober Sex. And I would say that we should, you fans, friends of the show, you should follow Must Die Music because he's very good at the internet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a real treat. Um, thank you again, Lee, for joining us. I want to thank you so much for having me. Honestly, I've, I've had so much left over to think about. Beautiful. Well, come back and we'll talk about it some more. <laughs> Let's go. Woo! Yeah.